Welcome to our podcast. I'm Josh Way. I'm Dan Hammer. We listen to commentaries. This is a show where we talk about movies. Uh, there's exactly 5,006 shows where people talk about movies, but this is the one where we do it by talking about the people talking about the movies on audio commentaries. And are the are we the only ones who do that? Uh, we are the only, as far as I could tell, <laughs> we are the only podcast dedicated to that. There it. are other podcasts. There's like movie podcast networks that like have like a feature once in a while where they'll talk mm. about it. And AV Club has done this you know, article series where they will uh, talk about audio commentaries. But uh, I did not find a show that was devoted exclusively to this. As a mission. Yeah. Love it. So uh, this is our first proper episode. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm very excited and weirdly nervous. Weirdly nervous. Tell me about your nervousness. Well, right, right, this is what I'm nervous about. (laughs) (laughs) The yammering and the stammering. (laughs) I'm so used to a, and I've told you this numerous times now, but I'm used to working alone and polishing the uh, heck out of anything that I produce with editing and scripting ahead of time. This is just a conversation with my friend, Dan. And uh, I'm, whenever I have to just be myself and talk, there's, there's trouble. There's problems. Well, I'm here to intrude upon your usual um, solo show, and I'm here for you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so uh, I don't know. I just thought that there are so many uh, movie dude podcasts. There's so many podcasts with just guys talking about their opinions about the flicks um, that I, I wanted to find a unique way into talking about movies, and this was one of the first ideas I had about a year ago um, that I'm, I've always been a special features guy. I, I, you know, I like the EPK stuff behind the scenes and the, I actually listen to the commentaries. And when I was, uh, younger and more naive back in, you know, when, uh, in the nineties, when DVD came out, uh, I thought, and, uh, I thought I was doing that to learn. I thought I was going to like, you know, find out all the secrets and, and, and discover the magic of the movies. But what really happens is that you kind of discover the humanity of the people who manage uh, to make movies in spite of everything, you know, the uphill right. battle of making a movie. Yeah, I think this is a good idea. And this is something that you sold me on because I know you to be, you know, a movie guy. And when I imagine your, your lair that you're sitting in right now, I think of like a wall of DVDs, or I suppose you've moved on to Blu-rays since I since I knew you back in the day. So far, and so I figure good. you've yeah. you've walked you've watched all of those movies and probably listened to all the commentaries, and you're very well versed. And it's true that the trivia is probably the least interesting thing about them. Yes. Yeah, because more interesting to get the place and time of the right. people who are offering the commentary. Yes, and there are. We picked a very interesting title for our first episode, which we'll get to, but uh, it's not, I wouldn't call it a typical commentary. There are some things that are typical to the genre of audio commentary. Um, There's a certain amount of hyperbole. There's, you know, uh, actors and directors fawning over whoever happens to be on the screen at the moment. So I'm sure we'll get to all those things and there will be tropes and jokes about the kind of nonsense that goes on uh, when people talk about themselves in their movies. Um, but 
we're actually going to have an interesting trial by fire with this one because it's kind of a different tone. Uh, but before we do that, Dan, did you see any good movies uh, recently? Um, no, but <laughs> I, I did to stop see asking movie. you that way. I did that last week. <laughs> I have to learn my lesson. That can be that can become a running gag. I guess I guess it can. I guess it I think one of these weeks I'm gonna enjoy a movie that I see. Right. I promise that sometimes I do enjoy the movie. Has it that happened I see. since January? Has it happened since January? Probably not. Yeah. It's the, I don't we're know. in the rough patch of, of the year. <laughs> it it is it is the rough patch. I saw Isn't It Romantic so did over I. the weekend. Oh. Not this week. Yeah, that I saw sounds it familiar. A few weeks ago, but I did see it. Oh. And I didn't really know what it was. I looked at what was playing and I'd seen much of what was playing or I simply couldn't bring myself to go sure. to a lot of the titles that were being offered. But isn't it romantic? I thought I can go to that. I can sit through that, which is exactly what I did. You sat through it. And I sat through it. And it was you. a, yes. And there was a full audience, you know, Saturday evening, you know, 830 performance prime, prime time playing. Right. Yeah. Speaking of it, like it's a play, a performance, <laughs> um, a, a showing. Yeah. And I picture I you in a box audience, with opera glasses. <laughs> that's how I go to the movies. Cool. Um, the audience kind of agreed with me. I feel like we sat there in silence, <laughs> maybe with a good natured smile every now and again. You know, it wasn't offensive in any sort of a way. You know, it wasn't like it was a bad movie to me. Right. Right. But to me, it was just completely ordinary. Yeah. And it didn't really take off from what I think could have been an intriguing premise that it had. Simply naming conventions of a genre isn't funny in itself. You just kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen a movie that did that before. You're right. And there weren't really any stakes for me. Like I kind of went off on Twitter a little bit after. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, what if, what if she's trapped in a romantic comedy and all the other characters are trapped too? And she right. tries to help them get out. And in case people don't know by now, they probably do. If you've seen the trailer for this movie, you've basically seen this movie. Right. It's that it's a high concept thing where girl bumps her head and she wakes up in the world as a romantic comedy. And I didn't even really feel like the world <clears throat> was exactly like a romantic comedy. Like, the way that they had her apartment, yeah, I sort of thought, no, this would have been like a really trendy loft that was expansive, you know, not kind of like a wedding boutique sitting room. Right. When I think of actual romantic comedy. Yeah. Yeah. It was Maybe an, that's more old fashioned. Yeah. It was very glossy and simplistic. It didn't. I would have also preferred that it would dig in a little deeper to the genre that it was playing with. and. It, instead of kind of it it felt it felt like it kind of was just so happy with itself for having the initial conceit and then it just kind of glided on it for 90 minutes or whatever till it was done right it wasn't bad Maybe you're right it was fine no it wasn't bad it was, it was fine I, I perfectly... and probably it must have been better than anything else that night or i'd already seen into the spider verse right. three times so it was fine it was mercifully short yes had it gone on for another half hour, then it would have become a bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. That was my thought on that. Okay. I saw Captain Marvel. Oh, what did you I, think of it? I thought it was delightful. 
I thought it was it was Did good. You? If isn't it romantic is fine. This one was good. It was not great. See, now, you, right. I'm just for our our listeners and new friends. I'm a Marvel movie kind of dude. I do like them. I'm not. I'm not really a superhero movie kind of dude. Like indiscriminately, I uh, I do like the Marvel thing and what they've done. And so I've got a little bit, you know, invested in it, and I I like them a lot. And so I was rooting for it. Um, and I guess it's another one. And it's a, you know, it's a, they have a little bit of an issue with their origin story. Their number ones in the character based series, where they usually get better in the second or third. And this one had some of those issues. Uh, but it was fun. People loved watching it. The crowd was enjoying it, and it it was cool. So I'll disclose some of my identity here that I don't know a difference between a Marvel movie and a superhero. Movie, oh, okay. But you make a differentiation. I guess what I mean is a superhero. I don't like anything just because it it has superheroes in it. I'm not that kind of guy. I see. So there are I DC see. movies. There are movies based on you know independent comics, and then there are things that are riffing on the idea of superheroes. And I like some of those things, and I don't like some of those things. And I think the DC movies, the the ones based on DC comics, that's like justice league and superman and batman and and aquaman i think those tend to be kind of cheesy loud cgi uh you know messes that i don't enjoy watching and i think right. the marvel movies are a little more fun and clever and and don't take themselves quite as seriously and, and i enjoy that yeah, i have to make myself go to a superhero movie but then i usually enjoy it just fine yeah you saw spider-verse right I did see Spider-Verse. That kind of uh, tweaked with the genre a little yeah. bit in the best way. I thought it was creative and really visually compelling. Good story, good voices. Yeah, I don't I don't feel compelled to make any like excuses for it good for a superhero. I felt like it was a brilliant animated movie and it yeah. it pushed the envelope and I just I couldn't believe what I was seeing sometimes. It was so good. It just burst onto the scene too. I feel like I didn't really have a lot of pre-knowledge of yeah. it. And then it just sort of arrived late in the season and then won the awards circuit. Right, right. And it w- it's a, uh, again, this is getting a little into the weeds with the, you know, the background of, of these movies, but Spider-Man is a Marvel property that has been owned by Sony. I guess it's still co-owned by Sony, but the live action Spider-Man movies have gone into what's called like the Disney Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, mm. And this animated one was still made by Sony. And Sony has traditionally been making the bad Spider-Man movies for the last number of years. So it was kind of a surprise in that way, too, that, you know, Mar- everybody was excited that Marvel got Spider-Man back. And then what is Sony doing? They're making this cartoon Spider-Man movie. And then it was great. Right. Surprise. It was amazing. I liked it better than the other Spider-Mans I've yeah. seen. Yeah, it was a good Spider-Man. A fine Spider-Man. It was more than fine. A top drawer Spider-Man. <laughs> All right, well, do you want to take a break and then talk about our commentary for the week? Let's take okay. a break. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, our commentary this week was on the 1994 Chris Elliott vehicle, Cabin Boy. A very, a very strange place to start. Uh, I just love that there is a commentary track for this movie. Um, 
I guess we'll talk about the movie itself. Do you have any background with this movie at all? Do you even remember it existing? I don't know that I'd even heard of it until you suggested it be our (laughs) premiere episode. Your inaugural. uh, Yeah. So uh, I knew about it and I have, it's weird to say that I have a history with it, even though I didn't see it. I first saw it late last year. I think that this Blu-ray edition came out at the end of last year or earlier this year. I don't really remember, but that's this Blu-ray is the first time that I saw the movie. My history with the movie is that um, on paper, this is a Josh movie. This has everything that, that I would, especially younger Josh would have aspired to been drawn to and I remember being excited about it, and it's just a fluke that I never wound up seeing it. I think it's because it was the 90s, and I didn't you know, have as easy access to movies as I do now. But uh, Chris Elliott and his writing partner from uh, both the David Letterman Late Show and his sitcom Get a Life, Adam Resnick, they wrote this movie together as a, a project to be directed by Tim Burton starring Chris Elliott. Uh, and it's kind of a very loose, stupid spoof on Captain's Courageous, and uh, that classic, you know, Buccaneer uh, movie, Errol Flynn, I think. And I don't, I forgot who else. I'm glad to know they were basing it on something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it was supposed to be Tim Burton, who was at the height of his powers. Tim Burton had, right. had a giant hit with Batman Returns. And side sidebar, I've been revisiting Tim Burton, really enjoying his first three movies. Batman Returns is is nonsense, uh, but apparently it was a hit. It was a big hit. And he was in the middle of making The Nightmare Before Christmas, about to make Ed Wood, which like legitimized him forever as this right. artistic filmmaker. Right in the middle of all of that stuff is when he was a he, he was just a fan of Get a Life. And he called a meeting with Chris Elliott and his writing partner, and they were going to make this movie together. I think. And imagine what a different movie. Yeah, it I know. Been. And there's a lot of that uh, in the interviews and in the commentary on the disc yeah. that I imagine that if Tim Burton had made this movie, it probably would be on my in my stack of favorites, along with Edward Scissorhands and, and you know, Beetlejuice and, and things like that. Uh, but he did not. <laughs> He did not make this movie. He did. And uh, the his right and uh, Adam Resnick, uh, co-writer of the movie, ended up directing. Um, they state quite uh, candidly, they didn't want to make the movie. Once Tim Burton passed, they were stuck with a movie that they wrote, thinking that he, Tim Burton would think this is cool. We don't necessarily want to make this movie, and so. Uh, that's the uh, that's the background on <laughs> Cabin Boy. Did you watch the the well, movie sh- itself before you listen to the commentary? No, I didn't. I don't regret yeah, my choice. You probably, yeah, <laughs> you probably spend as much time with Cabin <laughs> Boy honest. as you ever wish to. Well, I think that the script is bad. Yeah, you know, and they made a good point in the commentary that hey this was the mid 90s for comedy and you think about all of these kind of low level comedies that the studios were just cranking out in those days it wasn't entirely unlike those but you know even though i say what an, a difference burton would have made 
I wonder what that difference would have been. Right. You know, besides the the look and the pacing, you still have Chris Elliott in a bizarre sort of a character that to me wouldn't have been one of Burton's, you know, weirdly dark figures. Right. Um he's he's just such a weirdo. Yeah, and I don't know that he would have exerted so much influence over the the script and the dialogue and the story, but over the visual language of the movie. He did to some degree. There's mm-hmm. some things that he actually that Burton actually designed. But I think what Burton would have done is brought someone like uh uh Caroline Thompson, is that her name? The screenwriter who wrote um Nightmare Before Christmas and Edward Scissorhands, who he was working with at the time, mm-hmm. probably would have turned it into something more lyrical and interesting. They kind of make a point of that in the interview I was listening to earlier, where they say that the script was just kind of rushed through without any notes or tweaks because there was just at, at the time that everyone thought Tim Burton was going to be directing it. And then they ended mm-hmm. up with the script that they wrote, which is, which is, and that really shows. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's okay if a script is oddball and bonkers and in a surreal sort of reality, right? but it's, it was also kind of unprofessional. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the, there's no like managing of tone, and when it's when it's right to be dramatic and when it's right to be silly, there's just kind of the same clumsy no. tone the entire way through. And they made the remark on the commentary at some point early on that oh, this is looking surreal too early, right? As if they imagined beginning in the real world and then at some place taking a hard turn into the world of the surreal. Yes, I think it was specifically something to do with the storm. They hit this storm at sea and it was supposed to kind of twist everything up. And from that point on, they're almost in like a fantasy world. Right. But I mean, you can be in a fantasy world, but still maintain your look and your tone throughout, you know, the moment, the first, you know, in the first moment or two, the camera pans to Chris Elliott looking a fool in a choir robe and a white wig you know, you've made a statement, yeah. a really strong statement um, from a directorial standpoint that I don't think that you can quite recover from. And then David Letterman right. walks in as his contemporary self yes. not right. long after. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then suddenly you're supposed to be, you know, in an Oz like right. fantasy. It just, you can't have a bull. And it's also like worth that. mentioning, by the way, that Chris Elliott was also at the height of his powers here. This should have propelled him. And, I, and uh, we'll, we'll get into this probably more in talking about the actual commentary, but Chris Elliott was fine. He he maybe, you know, didn't have the big movie star career that he might have thought he was getting to here, but he's fine. Uh, I think Adam Resnick didn't fare as well, and he seems to be palpably bitter on the commentary. But Chris Elliott had um his own show and you know there there was he i was a big fan of his around this time and him being in a movie felt like a, a big natural next step but his character is so aggressively unpleasant and that's his shtick that's his thing but it just shows you how delicate that is because he played a loathsome loser yeah, on to- get a life but it was hilarious and he does it again, even on Shit's yeah. Creek. Yeah, he's still doing. You know, the same where I like that character. Yeah, that's 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 what he that's what he does. And he does it well. Um, but this I, was I not the right vehicle. For I that. found this character to be, you know, just repulsive yeah. and repugnant. So before we go much further, uh, I want to talk about Letterman too. But um, the participants yeah. in the commentary are, 
are Adam Resnick and Chris Elliott and a moderator named Mike Sachs, I believe. He's an author and I think he's an editor at uh, Vanity Fair on uh, like comedy and entertainment. I don't there, really then? know. I think because this was issued by Kino Larber, which is a kind of an art house. Uh, in this movie, probably he's been bouncing around um, and, and they do releases of kind of obscure or more artistic movies. I guess this is in the obscure category. But uh, so I guess as an art house kind of uh, thing, they, they put a moderator. A lot of like criterion commentaries will have a moderator or a, a journalist or someone to kind of direct it. But um, it's uh, also it was recorded last year, I believe. A lot of times commentaries for bigger movies, for more popular movies are done uh, when the movie comes out very often for whatever reason before the movie comes out while they're still in a, in a recording studio working on the sound mix, they will sit down. So you get this kind of urgency and this excitement of, we made this movie and we're very excited about it, but the public hasn't seen it yet. Um, or it's a hit movie and people are coming back to revisit it. In this case, it's a movie that was a nightmare for them to make a, a big disappointment in their life. It was a bomb and they're coming back uh, 30 years later to look at it and talk about it. And it doesn't seem fun when they talk about it. Well, just speaking in a more broad sense, even when did commentaries become a thing? Was that like early 2000s, late 90s? No, I, th I think it was probably earlier than that because of LaserDisc. I think LaserDisc was the first format that had the capability for, uh, but it was an extremely niche uh, thing. You know, it wasn't like every cool movie came out and you could go home and listen to the commentary. It was only for people that were enthusiasts and had the equipment and would buy uh, laser discs. So they became kind of a popular thing. Yeah, in the late 90s, 1997, I believe, is when the DVD format came out. Yeah, so it, make, it makes sense that, you know, a new movie, they might make the commentary right away. You don't know what its box office will be, but we're here, so let's make the commentary because every movie has one. But for these yeah. ones that are older... You have to decide whether you're going to come back. And if you do, there's a reason. And in this case, it's because it was and a And there's disaster. a sense that they couldn't have done this before. And that it, even now, it feels like it's still a very sensitive mm. wound. It, I mean, it's painful. How humiliating. When you're out of your league and you sort of know it and you go for it and you just don't quite see what it is yeah. along the way. And they were really made the butt of a lot of jokes for yeah. a very long time. It kind of was, you know, like not career ruining for. The no, yeah. Career, although if you look at IMDb, at time, uh, Adam Resnick has has written for a couple more shows. He didn't direct anything else, um, mm. except for something intriguing. It said his only other credit for directing besides Cabin Boy is Cabin Boy auditions Oscar sketch on the actual <laughs> Academy Awards broadcast. So they they got an Oscar sketch. <laughs> I guess that's. <laughs> That, there's something so sad about that. You're like, yeah, I guess I'll do that. Uh, we didn't have any sketches this year. That was kind of nice. Uh, yeah. That was wonderful. So, uh, oh, David Letterman, I just wanted to mention, he was, you know, he kind of made Chris Elliott. Chris Elliott was like a uh, a bit player who would just play crazy characters in between interviews and stuff on the David Letterman show. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember that? Did you see any of those clips? You know, I never watched Letterman in the day. Oh, yeah. How how am I doing as a wealth it's, of no, knowledge? It's great. 
Right. I asked you a question and you answered it. What more could I? <laughs> yeah. You just went silent. <laughs> uh, I now I was very young at that time, but I was aware of him, and then I became hyper aware of 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 Elliot when he had his own show, Get a Life on Fox. Did you ever see Get a Life? Okay. No. It was uh, it was Elliot playing a loser on a Fox sitcom, and his dad, who's a famous comedian, Bob Elliot, played his dad. And it was, you know, it was only a two season thing and it was kind of a cult classic, but uh, it was very, very funny. And it was from the same two minds, only it was a real world thing. It wasn't a fantasy thing like So Letterman does him the favor. I guess Letterman is the, you got two influential people that are making this happen for them, Tim Burton and David Letterman. David Letterman's the one who kind of comes through, but it's not really enough to to save the project. And might might I add that Tim Burton and David Letterman is not necessarily the pairing no, you'd think not. of for a great piece right. of art. That's true. And, and that this movie uh, kind of supports that theory. Even with, even yeah. without one right. of them. <laughs> uh, but Letterman's there and his scene is funny. And I remember the, you want to buy a monkey was in all the trailers and commercials. I look, I watched the trailer and some of the TV ads and I remembered seeing them and the only remotely funny things in the movie are in, those commercials and trailers the david letterman want to buy a monkey which isn't particularly funny it's just dave being dave and he's always interesting to look at right and then the shot at the end of the movie which is admittedly absurd and, and kind of funny out of all context of chris elliott riding on the swimmer's back kind of riding her like yeah i did like that I mean, it's it's messed up but it's it's kind of funny so those you know those things and then the 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 stop motion animated monster. So for me as a, as I thought of myself as a kid when this came out, but I was 19 when this movie came out. So, I mean, I guess from my perspective now I was a kid, but I, I, it surprised me to figure that out because I saw commercials and trailers for this. I guess this is just a lesson in, in the way things really are in Hollywood, because I see Chris Elliott's goofy face, uh, special effects, David Letterman, and then you know they they still mention Burton in the credits, produced by uh, Tim Burton and his producing partner. Um, so oh, okay. uh, that to me was everything. Like that was so exciting. Like wow, they made this movie and Tim Burton is involved and it's all this stuff. And it just looked like the dream of like a crazy, funny, swashbuckling thing. Like everything packed into the package was something that does it for me. Swashbuckling? swashbuckling yeah yeah i like pirates and adventures you like and that you like pirates pirate stuff but i had no idea at the time that this was a compromise and a trudge and a nightmare to make and tim burton you know right i tim burton like again i'm sure it was all just normal hollywood stuff tim burton's not a villain who did something mean to these guys he just expressed interest in helping out and then stepped out of directing, you know, cause he had bigger and better things to do, but right. that he had that tanked all of their dreams and hopes for this thing. And, and I don't know, to me, that's such a, uh, it's emblematic of, of uh, the way I feel about Hollywood now. And I understand how just getting made is a miracle for any movie. Right. And I mean, it takes me decades even to tell one person about my worst trauma. Right. You know, 
let alone uh, having it play out um, in an industry and have people, you know, laughing about yeah. it for decades. Yeah. And in a way, it's it's fitting almost that I finally see the movie, a comp- at, you know, in my forties, and it's accompanied by this very candid commentary, um, because you know I'm not as susceptible to the magic anymore, and also the movie's a pile of garbage. So, but I can I'm actually right. like I'm impressed with them. I'm I'm uh, even though it whatever I don't, it doesn't redeem the movie, I suppose, but it it made this an interesting experience for me as opposed to just, ugh. well, I'm glad yeah. they redeemed it for you. <laughs> I, I enjoyed, so I'm looking at my notes now, I guess we can go to the, to the compare notes uh, segment. Notes. Yeah. I like that. They said, um, I just have hit here, here. Letterman quote, I choppered in around dawn that <laughs> <laughs> He, he like dropped in for one day and ad-libbed this scene and took off. And, the, and they put that scene in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie. And mm-hmm. it's not even that great, but it's like, it might be the only serious laugh you get for a long time. And yeah. it's completely out of place. No, That scene doesn't belong in this movie, even no. if it is the best thing about it. It does show how much Dave must have believed in Chris Elliott. Because Dave Letterman doesn't, appear in movies that's true no doesn't chopper in at dawn no for just anyone so uh they refer to this movie very early on as a scab on their hearts mm-hmm. uh they yeah i don't blame them oh <laughs> i also they made a point of saying that when you go to a lot they, they filmed in a lot of locations where a lot of movies film <laughs> and they'll see commemorative plaques of the movies that were shot there and they do not mention cabin <laughs> boy no they don't make the list i mean that that's the same uh they they said with people's resumes yeah um you know alfred molina right right yeah so the, the cast is an interesting thing in this movie i mean molina apparently had a longer scene that was cut out he's just sitting in, in one scene now but there is a a nice collection of um character actors in this movie wasting their time uh, and and Andy Richter, right. <laughs> very young Andy Richter, who's pretty funny in the Andy movie, Richter, but then they dispatch true. him pretty quickly. And then he yeah. has a weird, I yeah. think he was supposed to have more when he comes back as like a vision. He says like one thing and then the scene is over, I think, because something got cut out. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that um, they're talking about things that they would do differently over again. Yeah. And Chris Elliott's like, oh, if I had to do it over again, you know, no accent, right. no shorts, as right. if that was, as if that was the problem. <laughs> and all, all these years later, um, we're regretting insignificant right. details of this of this train wreck. I, I think even without the accent, even without the shorts, um, the yeah. outcome would have been the pretty same. sure. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, I want to talk about the cupcake. There's a uh, there's like one bizarre well one of many bizarre effects driven moments where a, a kind of weird clown-faced cupcake appears to him when he's yes. kind of floating on the raft and two things one they say that tim burton actually designed that cupcake like he tossed off a sketch so there's a little bit of burton but then also i just want to say they kind of dismissively say it was voiced by some guy who was good at that stuff 
That cupcake was voiced by Jim Cummings, one of the greatest voiceover artists of all time, voice of Winnie the Pooh. So uh, I just want to give some respect to Jim Cummings. Oh, bother, he'd say. And uh, let's see, who else? Oh, Brian Doyle Murray, uh, Bill Murray's brother, is in it. That's true. Yep, yep, yep. And, uh, you know. I don't. I want to say these guys are good because they're good character actors. They're not good in this movie because they don't have anything to do. They just <laughs> yell at him. They just call no. him an idiot, make him dance. Right. Uh, Russ Tamblin plays what? What was his name? The character who's half shark. Chalky. Right. Um, Chalky. That was a very interesting. <laughs> and was it? I don't. Yeah, and that was where the commentaries where they said that he his quote was, "I was already a jet. Now I get to be a shark." So that's <laughs> oh, I get it. It's a little delightful inside Hollywood repartee. That's true. I mean, the it is such bizarre comedy, which I think is represents a difference. They they talk about a little bit how comedy was changing mm-hmm. in the nineties. You know, people were used to uh, Ace Ventura or um, Pauly Shore movies which were pretty bizarre and out there as far as content goes, yeah. or just stupid. And this is not like that no. to me. It's really outside the, the structures of 90s comedy, and people really hated it yeah. viscerally. And they talk about how confusion is out of place in comedy, and I kind of mm. agree that you sort of need to understand what you're laughing at. Like putting a weird thing on the screen isn't just funny in itself. And if you feel like a film is lacking in trajectory or craft, whether or not you're conscious of that, if it's just different from what you're used to in professionally made movies, we go, oh, this is really bad. Along those lines, uh, I have a note here, too, that at one point, uh, Adam Resnick, I think, exclaims angrily, why this and not Biodome? (laughs) On on them becoming (laughs) this kind of byword of, you know, a, a shitty comedy. Well, let's talk about that. Why this and not Biodome? Because I give Biodome, whatever I can remember of it, more mm-hmm. of a pass than I give Cabin. Is it because the level of ambition seems different in terms of just the, the way it looks and presents itself? I suppose I feel like with Biodome, you sort of understand what you're getting. Right. And, you know, it's one thing after one plot point after another. And Polly Shore is just going to be doing his Polly yeah. Shore thing throughout this i had no trajectory mm-hmm. no sense of trajectory of where the story was headed it was meandering it was ugly to look at the characters repelled me yeah. you know thing after thing right. made me not warm to it and i feel like good comedy yeah. has some warmth mm-hmm. you know that you that you're drawn to or the humor is the lack of warmth you know if you think right, of seinfeld right. or something like that it's character Larry david and Cabin Boy really, right. No. Cabin Boy really and the one element made. that should have been able to be explored that way was what they took from Captain's Courageous, which is the story of a kind of self-centered fop who's comes out of, of uh, you know, his schooling and his father sets him on this, this cross, this journey across the ocean to make a man out of him. So you could have done something with the character learning lessons and, and coming into his own. But it really is just that his voice changes. He stops using that voice. He stops wearing the wig. He kind of gets a girlfriend, but not really. And then there's like these half-hearted adventures. I guess it doesn't go into the character comedy 
it doesn't feel like it's savvy enough to do that, but then it also doesn't do the adventure and the special effects well. So you have a bunch of like half-hearted stuff in a loaf of a movie. But I think maybe it stings more because of the promise of what it could have been. I think Chris Elliott can be a funny lead playing a loser in a movie. And I would like to see a Tim Burton swashbuckling uh, from, from the nineties. These days it would just be a green screen against a green screen against a green screen. But back then I would have loved to have seen this kind of a story from Tim Burton. So I think it was the promise of Chris Elliott as a performer and of the, the kind of ambition of the, of this kind of movie that for me anyway, make it doubly disappointing that it's just such a flat piece of nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a failure of the direction. And I mean, I think it was Resnick. I have a quote here who said, you know, afterwards, I believed I was a complete piece of shit and I still do, yeah. I guess. <laughs> you know, I was like, that is yeah. so sad that, that, that this is the story that right. you had to start telling yourself because of what happened with this movie and you're still and you're still carrying it. Yeah, that really... Um... That really made me sad too. And again, Chris Elliott can look back on this, and he, you know, it's still cringy for him. He could have maybe been a bigger, a bigger movie star if this had gone differently. But he's had a, he's set, he's had a career mm-hmm. as a performer. I feel like Resnick, th- this was a national embarrassment that he didn't ask for, and that you know, it kind of. I don't think it killed his career single handedly, but it just seems that he doesn't have as much hope like i hope he's okay <laughs> it might have just been the, the discomfort of, of See, being exposed to this movie again i hope he's not always he's a comedy writer so a lot of them are self-loathing and and you know that's a thing but sure sure yeah that's why sure. they're so funny it's great and then when that stuff gets in your head too you don't try or you sabotage yourself and i don't know him in his life but you know i i see elliot who seems mostly like he's gotten over it and can take it in stride now. And also that's the guy who has gone on in his career, you know, and, and Resnick who seems still not to be over it is, you know, also not over it as far as how he, they both also claimed that they haven't watched it since they made it. But I did notice, I have a note here that Elliot several times points out very time code specific things says oh watch this she's going to start to crack up right before we cut now that could just be because it's their movie and he's remembering the edit bay or whatever but it seemed to me like elliot has been able to look at this more than than resnick it did seem like that just a little little bit more levity and uh, lightness of spirit from him all right dan well do we have a verdict about this commentary is it worth listening to for anybody (laughs) i'll say it this way i think it gives an interesting glimpse into um the space of these creators and if you've not seen the movie before i would recommend watching it with this commentary because Mm -hmm. i think it would be unbearable just to watch the movie itself so i give it that kind of a recommendation yeah i'd say if if you're predisposed to be interested in a movie like this which i realize that's a a weird slim thing but that's me uh just check out the movie because it's a it's a curiosity and it's crazy but for anybody who's interested in what it takes to get a movie made what the reality is behind you know i think this is almost sort of an education in that way 
that um, these guys just wanted to make funny movies and they thought they were getting a chance to work with a visionary director. And then they became like the national joke of uh, bad movies for a couple of years. And that, no, well, and that. And that's, go ahead. Sorry. I don't know why that feels valuable, but it, it just feels maybe as a cautionary tale, like it has value. It's a yeah. very human experience. I'm I had sorry, something else man. to say and now I forgot. We'll do a follow up episode okay. when Dan thinks of the thing that he was going to say. Let's let's do a Cabin Boy. I think it's uh, going to happen. Burton's doing Beetlejuice too, although that's been rumored for a very long time. But apparently, it's actually on his upcoming projects on IMDb now. It is. Although, well, that's exciting. It'll give me yeah, a reason well, to see Beetlejuice one. Oh, <laughs> until I watched Batman Returns, it was the one the the early Burton film that held up the worst for me. Just FYI. It's good. It's funny. Really? Michael Keaton's funny and it's a crazy movie. But uh mm-hmm. Pee Wee's Big Adventure really held up. I was surprised. It's a. f I forgot that it's a comedy. I forgot that Pee Wee's Big Adventure is a funny movie. Anyway. I was never really? allowed to watch Pee Wee Herman. There was something just intrinsically bad uh, about him. I think it is before. And yeah, just in my house, Mm. there's something wrong with him. And I'm not quite sure what that was. Maybe joy, probably joy. (laughs) Maybe some joy on his show. (laughs) It was out of line with our family's values. (laughs) We weren't allowed to say either of those words. Okay, well... (laughs) <laughs> how's this Excellent. for for introductions <laughs> welcome to good our worlds all right uh well dan do you have any final words do you have anything to plug do you have anything to leave our listeners with you know i'm just gonna let it go this time and um think on what sort of things okay. i might intrude right. upon their lives for next you know, time. i think we're gonna get there and we're gonna be we're going to be intruding without even a thought. Eventually we're going to get comfortable and we're going to just, I think so too with, uh, with our boots on, we're going to come into people's homes and, uh, take a seat, put our feet up on the coffee table. Yeah. <laughs> on a rainy day. Uh, Do you I have don't. any final thoughts. We did it. We recorded a podcast. We'll see if this makes it to anybody's feed. We'll see if, if Zencaster is even still recording. Uh, but I did want to say we have been Josh and Dan. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. Our theme music is by Jonah Rapino. That's our show. Uh, until next time, we'll see you in the special features. 